we're going to continue this week. Last week we started uh, just a short series on on the on what I'm calling the Eagles Wing Vision, the vision or the purpose for this church. And and a lot of you were here uh, when we when we had our well, when I say a lot of you, a few of you were here when we had our our first meeting, and we we kind of laid out what we thought God was doing and what God wanted to do and 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 many of you became a part of it and a lot of you though have come since that time that was over uh, a year and a half ago and many of you have come and and maybe you're wondering okay what what's going on here what's the purpose of this church what what are, what are you here for and last week I shared a little bit of, about that and and this week I want to share the other half of that but but I believe God has a purpose and a plan and a vision uh, you, uh, to me those things are interchangeable but I believe he has one for every church I don't think he has one generic one now there are a lot of and we'll talk about this today a little bit there are some things that that don't change but he designed Certain people to be in certain bodies so that they could do certain things. Uh, you know, church is not cookie cutter. I, I, a lot of people uh, ask me, well, why are you planting a church in a place that has plenty of churches? Okay, I, I mean, and my answer was God told me to. Okay, and, and but I've come to believe that the reason there are so many different churches is there's a lot of different needs. And there's nothing wrong with this church or that church. God has them there for a purpose. Now, the sad thing is, is that that not everybody understands their purpose. Uh, And the problem with not understanding your purpose is not lack. I hear people say, well, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough qualified people. Can I just say this? God is not a God of lack. He's not deficient in anything. Everything that a church needs is present in that church. And if it's not present... I believe God will bring it. That's, I just believe I believe God loves His bride that much. He wouldn't let His bride go without. The problem is His bride's not sure what she's supposed to be doing. Okay, now, so the problem doesn't really rest with God; it rests with the church. It, it kind of lies in our lap. Uh, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Some churches they don't have a vision. Either God made or man made. They 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 are just kind of wandering around. They're doing the same thing that they've done for years and years and years, and yet they're unhappy because some things are not happening. People are not visiting. People are not coming. Listen to me. If you do the same thing over and over and over, you will always get the same result. To believe otherwise is the definition of idiocy, Okay. If you do the same thing the same way, you will always get the same result. That's just that's the that's the laws of nature. And so, without a plan, we tend to do the same things. And let's just be real honest. We like habit. Amen. Most of us do. We don't like new stuff. New stuff kind of gets us, you know, it kind of pushes us out of our comfort zone. And so, a lot of churches have become comfortable. It's not that, that, that they're not capable of, of fulfilling the plan and the purpose God has for them. They are. It's just they've become, they've become comfortable and they really don't understand it. Now, there's another side. There's, there's a side over here of the church that may have a plan. It's just not God's plan. Now, I'm a pastor, so I can talk about pastors, okay? We as pastors, one of the classes they, they teach us in seminary, I'm not going to tell you the name of it, 
I'm just being kind of facetious here, but, but most people think there's a class in seminary where they teach you to, to come up with a purpose plan for your ministry and your life and your church. And a lot of pastors have a plan, and they carry it around in their briefcase, okay? And when they arrive at a church, they unpack their plan. And depending on their personality, their leadership skills, their preaching skills, and the reception of it by the people, the plan gets carried out, or the plan doesn't get carried out. When that pastor leaves, guess what? He folds everything up, puts it in his briefcase, and guess what he does with it? Takes it to the next church and unpacks it. That's very common, okay? The problem with that is that plan may have some, some God attributes in it. In other words, it, it, some of it may be from God. But what happens is as pastors, we learn things that work, and we want to do them over and over and over. When you learn something works at your house, or at your job. What do you do? You repeat it. You just keep wearing it out. Okay? That's where the problem is. God doesn't always want the same thing done in every church. Every church is not alike. Now, there are some things that never change. Okay? The gospel never changes. It is the message that brings salvation. When people hear the gospel, their lives are changed. God wants people to be saved. That should be a part and a plan of every church's ministry. Amen? Okay. God wants churches to grow. He wants them to grow numerically, and He wants them to grow spiritually. Okay? That's, that's a part of God's plan. But how they do that, you can't necessarily read in a book. You can't get it necessarily at a seminar. You can't go to a pastor's conference or a church growth conference and import and, or export and import it into your church and necessarily make it work. See, I believe there's a better way than no plan or a man-made plan, and I believe that's to find out what God's plan is. Okay? I believe when God forms a church, whether that church is now 150 years old or it's six weeks old, a part of the DNA of that church has its purpose ingrained, okay? But I believe it's our responsibility as, as members of that church and, and, and a pastor's responsibility to figure out what it is. That's why churches get in such an uproar. They don't know, the, they don't know their purpose. They don't, they don't know why they're there. They don't, they're, they don't know who they are. And so they try to be everything to everybody. And what happens is they become nothing to anybody except the people that are contained within the walls. And so, folks, I believe God's option is, is that we pray and we figure out what His plan, His purpose is. I believe He's given us a vision. I believe He's given us a purpose and a plan. And, 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 and it's slowly beginning to unfold. Last week, I shared a little bit of that. But if a church has no vision or it has a man-made vision... It will never be eternally significant, okay? It will never really make a difference, although it may have plenty of money, or it may have no money, or it may have plenty of people, or it may be small. You see, the size of a church or their bank account does not determine whether that, poor, that church is rich or poor, okay? I know big churches that are poor. I know teeny tiny churches that don't have a lot of people and don't have a big 
bank account, but they are spiritually and eternally rich. I know some large churches that are rich eternally and spiritually. It's not size. It's not numbers. It's not money. It's not nickels and noses, okay? It's not. It's whether or not we're walking in the purpose and the plan of God. And if we walk in His purpose and His plan, we'll be in His will. And if we're in His will, we are eternally significant. We're making a difference. Last week I shared a passage of Scripture in in Proverbs 29, verse 18. And and I, I want to share it again. The writer of Proverbs says, Where there is no vision, and that word vision there means no prophetic word. Where there's no prophetic word. Well, what's a prophetic word? That's when we hear from God and we speak what God says. Or we act out, we live out what God says. That's all a prophetic word is. It, it hadn't got some secret meaning to it. it it's, not, you know, it's not necessarily uh, foretelling. I mean, foretelling or foretelling. It, it's, it's just the fact that God's spoken. We've heard it. We've listened, and now we're living it out. We're acting it out. That's what a prophetic, that's what he means here. Where there's no prophetic, where, where the people have not heard from God, where, where the people, I'm just going to translate it the way I, if I was translating, where the people have not heard from God, they perish. They're unrestrained. They go in circles. That's the idea. See, folks, we're the people of God. Therefore, we need the Word of God to guide us. Otherwise, we're like sheep. I mean, that's what the Bible likens us to, is sheep. When Jesus stepped out in Galilee and He began to, to look on the crowds of people, you know what He said? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're without, they don't have anybody to guide them. And folks, it's God's Word that guides us. And when God gives His specific Word to a specific church, if that church will step out in that Word and live it out, you know what God will do? He'll provide all the people they need. He'll provide all the the money that they need. He'll provide all the ideas and the people to carry out those ideas. Folks, we don't need a new program. We don't need big personalities. We don't have to have this and that. We just need God. And we need a group of people that will listen to God. And when God says walk, they'll walk. When God says run, they'll run. And when God says fly, they'll flap their arms and they'll go. Okay? I I, I truly believe that. And so last week I shared a little bit about that. Uh, A lot of churches, though, they never walk in that precise vision that God has for them. When I was a kid, and most of you that have had children will understand this problem, but, but... my brother and I would grow in spurts. I mean, we'd get some new clothes, and it seemed like two weeks later, you know, we looked like Jethro. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. And so what happened in, in our family very often may have happened to some of your families. We had cousins about the same age or, and some older cousins, and so what would happen is we would get their hand-me-downs. You all know what a hand-me-down is? Okay, everybody, we all from the same place. It's okay here, all right? We'd get hand-me-downs, and we'd hand, and we'd hand our stuff down. The only problem with hand-me-downs is hand-me-downs never really fit. They're either too big, right, or they're too little. They're either husky when you wear slim, or they're slim when you wear husky, okay? 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. I thought about that this morning. How do I I describe that? I remember going to look at blue jeans at Pennies and Roebuck. That tells you how old I am. There's no Pennies and Roebuck anymore. They don't even call it Pennies anymore. They call it JCP now. We'd go to buy blue jeans. Well, there was Husky, Regulars, and Slims. My mother and daddy, they want to buy Regulars. I don't want regulars. I want slim. Slim's fit. Son, you got to have some room to grow. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so we 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 got hand-me-downs, and and we'd go places. You know, we'd be we'd be ashamed because you know you when you when your pants are up here, you know it just it may be fashion today. It wasn't fashion then, okay? And so, are your sleeves are a little short? You're as a kid, you're conscious of that, and. Uh, what happened is, is the hand-me-downs just never fit. And folks, hand-me-down visions don't fit. Every church has a size. And God gave them that size. And He has a plan that will fit. And if we'll just seek that plan out, and we'll walk that plan out, you know what? God will take care of the rest. I believe God's given us a very specific vision as a church. And if we'll embrace that vision... I think God will bless us. And I mentioned a few minutes ago significant, the word significant. You know what? All of us want to be successful. Let's just be real honest. Let's, let's just be human beings. None of us want to be failures. Amen? Come on. This is, none of us want to be failures. We just want to create. God didn't create us to be failures, okay? There's nothing wrong with failing. Because in failing, we, we learn how to succeed. But none of us want to be labeled as failures. That is, that everything we did was bust. None of us. But folks, there's something more important than success. And it's significance. All of us want to make a difference that lasts. And that's what significance is. And when a, work, when a church walks in significance, it walks in success in the spiritual realm. You see, if you're significant in the spiritual realm, you're successful. Amen. Whether anybody down here, out there, at, at this newspaper or that magazine or this group that meets over here thinks you are not. You know what? If they know your name in heaven and hell, that's really all that matters. Amen. Okay? I, I, I love that, that story where the... I don't know why I'm telling this, but I just like this passage of Scripture. Where, where the, the, the sons of Sceva were, were, were casting out the demons. You know the story? They were Jewish exorcists. They didn't know Jesus, but they'd heard Jesus' name was pretty powerful, so they started to use it. Well, they met a big, bad demon one day, and that demon jumped on them, and he didn't just whip them. He, he stripped away their clothes, and they fled naked. Basically, they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, to leave. And I, what that spirit says grabs hold of me. We know Jesus. We've heard of Paul. Who are you? Folks, my desire as a believer is that the the kingdom of darkness knows my Jesus. And they've heard of me. Okay? I don't have to be a hero. I'm not looking to be a hero. But, But I want them to know who we are. Okay? And for them to know who we are, we have to be significant. 
We have to carry out the plan that God has for us, the purpose that He's given us. Folks, the success that the world gauges things by is not the same gauge that God uses to gauge success. Now, last week, I shared with you uh, that vision in a sentence. And I'm, I'm going to share it again this week. And, and, and we dealt with the first half of it, and I'll just I'll mention a few things, but we're going to deal with the second part of it. But uh, I hope Connie, had, if she does, she's already ahead of me. We exist as a church to intimately pursue the heart of God and to in turn intentionally provide a place of refuge where broken souls can be restored through a life-changing relationship with God and people. I mean, that's why we're here. We're here, in other words, to be a place of refuge, restoration, and relationship. Th those are not just things I, I lay awake for six months trying to come up with so it look good on a card or a brochure. That's, that's the DNA of the church God's called me to be a part of. We have been called to be a refuge, a place, a safe place where people can come. We've been called to be a place of restoration where, where broken folks can get fixed. Okay? We may not have all the answers, but we serve the God who does. Okay? We just need to get them to the garage, and He'll take care of the rest of the things. And we need to be a place of relationship, a place where people can, can, can come to relationship with God. God is far more than, than, than a God to be served. He's a God to walk with. He's a God to love. And folks, you know what? He has angels to serve Him. He created us to be in relationship with Him. And folks need to see what relationship looks like this way so that they can understand relationship this way. And so last week we talked about intimately pursuing God and how, how you flesh it out. We talked about by, by actively seeking an intimate relationship with God, by becoming a praying church rather than, a, than just a church that prays, by finding our identity, who we are in Christ, not what we do. See, identity is not based on doing. It's based on being, being still. By actively pursuing the Spirit-filled life Jesus has promised us. Folks, you can't live the Christian life unless you're filled with the power of the Spirit. I've tried it. It won't work. You can't do it. But God has given us His Spirit to enable us to do anything He's called us to do. And if we'll learn to walk in the Spirit... God will take care of what needs to be taken care of. And finally, last week we talked about by passionately pursuing the presence of God through vibrant and enthusiastic worship. Folks, we're going to worship God. And worship is far more than music. Okay? Did you know you can worship without making a sound? I did some of it this week. I just, just was worshiping God in the presence of the silence of His beauty and His glory. I was just there with Him. Everything else was Him. Well, this week, we will look at five other core values that we have. And folks, if, we will, if we'll do those things, and we'll do the things I'm going to share today, we'll please God. And we'll be different, okay? And different in a good way. Not different in what we believe, but different in our lifestyles, different in our actions, different in our relationship. But now listen to me. 
If you're not willing to do those five things I just said, and I'll sum them down into one thing, if you're not willing to go after God with all your heart, you're not going to do what I said I share with you today. Okay? If you don't, do, if you're not willing to go after God with all your heart, you won't. You'll you'll half-heartedly go after people. Does that make sense? If you don't love God, you won't love people. But the same is true. If you don't love people, then you don't love God. That's what that's what John said in First John. Don't tell me you love your brother. I mean, you love God, but you hate your brother. And so today, I'm going to share some things that that have to do with the second part. The first part is about intimately pursuing the heart of God. The second part is about intentionally providing a place of refuge or or to sum it up in a few words, going after people. Taking the church that, that we have come to know and enjoy in here and taking it out there. Living it out out there. The first half of the vision is God's focused. That's what we talked about last week. The second half of the vision is people-focused. I believe God wants us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? Amen? Okay. But God also wants us to demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. gets awful quiet every time I say that. See, proclamation without demonstration is not the way Jesus did it. But it has become the way that the church is convinced she's supposed to do it. And we're not seeing the results that they saw in the first century. We're not seeing the warriors arise that they saw in the first century. Folks, there's got to be proclamation. There's got to be demonstration. Amen? I'm not going to keep asking you for it. I'm just going to prove it to you, okay? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, says this about Jesus. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we'd be happy, and most churches would be happy, if we just stopped right there. Okay? But there's a comma there, and a little word called and. And is a connective conjunction, I think. I know it's a connective word. I think it's a conjunction. Is it? Praise God. I remembered my English, okay? It means there's more to follow. Amen? That's been a good week. It's been a good week. I'm in a don't care mood right now, okay? By that I mean this is what God said. I don't care. I'm just going to share it. So Jesus told us to teach. He, 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 he gave us that mandate. We're to teach. We're to preach. We're to proclaim. But then he says this, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went out into Syria. And they brought him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. You see, Jesus proclaimed and taught the gospel of the kingdom, and then he demonstrated the gospel of the kingdom. It's not enough to proclaim. There has to be a demonstration. Now, don't get all afraid right now that I'm necessarily going to ask you to do miraculous things. Okay? I am, but, but I'm going to ask you to do it as God wants to do it. Fair enough? The reality of it is, if we don't proclaim the gospel and demonstrate it through love, nobody hears what we say. You know what? I can give a waitress a track 
I can leave her a track with a 50-cent tip in it on the table after I've eaten dinner and she served me. And you know what? She won't hear a word God has to say from that track. Because my actions have spoken louder than the gospel and the God I believe in. And I could go on and on and on. So, folks, we've got to learn to demonstrate what we say. And that's all I'm talking about this morning. And then if God wants to do a miracle, God's free to do it. Amen? Okay. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. We all agree with that. And He demonstrated the gospel. And if Jesus is our model, and He is, then to do one without the other is to imitate another God. I'll let you think about that. And we're going on. So how do we imitate Jesus in demonstrating the gospel? I'm going to give you five things, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but they're, 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 they're five core values that we have as a church. I shared the five about intimately pursuing God. Well, these are the ones that, that, we, that we believe that God's called us to do as we go after people, as we intentionally provide a place of refuge where people can come and have a relationship with God and have a relationship with other people. The first one is we will cultivate a culture of honor. Folks, we're going to be intentional and in cultivating a culture of honor where every person is valued as an exquisite treasure that God created that person to be. Let me, let me say that in, a, in just a simple sentence. Folks, we believe that every person in this room and outside this room is made in the image of likeness of God. Therefore, they deserve respect and they deserve love. If I can't love them and I don't respect them, then you know what? I'm not following Jesus. So we're going to build a culture where we just respect one another. We, we, we celebrate the victories that God's given us in our lives. We celebrate when there's a baby step taken or where there's a monumental event happens. We celebrate. And you know what? When we fall and we pick ourselves up and we dust ourselves off, we celebrate. We encourage. We don't condemn. We don't talk about one another. We love one another. We pray for one another. Folks, Jesus honored us by taking on our humanity and dying for us. God created us in His image and in His likeness. Every person bears that image. I don't care where they're at, what they're involved in, whatever God they choose to worship or whatever gutter they've fallen into, they still bear the image and the likeness of God. And the culture of honor values a person on a lot different scale than, than the world does. Folks, we have stopped looking at people through the lens and the glasses of the world. And we have to start looking through at them through the eyes of Jesus. We have to honor them. Not necessarily what they're doing. Not necessarily because they, 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 they're lovable. Any of you know some people that are not lovable? Oh, we all do. None of us are lovable all the time. And yet God loves us. You know what? I don't have to agree with a person's lifestyle. 
if they choose to live a lifestyle of sin. I don't have to agree with it, but I do have to love them. And I do have to respect them, give them the honor that is due them as, as a person who bears the image and the likeness of God. Because if I don't honor them and I don't love them, then I don't really love God. I can say what I want, but my actions speak louder than my words. Folks, every person is not a tool to be used. People are not tools to be used. They're, they're people to be loved. They're people to be rescued. They're people to be celebrated. And if we're unwilling to, to honor somebody who's made in the likeness and the image of God, you know, how can we claim to honor and love God? Short answer, we can't. We can't. So therefore, you know what? We're going to go against the grain. We're going to be like the, like the, the salmon and the trout that swim upstream. See, the conservatives say this, the liberals say this, but you know what? They're really saying basically the same thing. If you're not like us, you're wrong. You know what? We're going to love people whether they're wrong or not. We're just going to love them. We're just going to love them. We're going to honor them. And you know what? When you honor somebody and you love them, they recognize it. They may never agree with you, but they recognize it. And when we honor and love somebody, their hearts are opened to God. And God can speak. And so, folks, if we're not willing to love people, we're not willing to create a culture for anybody who comes out of anything to come in here and be a part of us, then you know what? We're wasting our time. We're wasting God's money. We ought to lock the doors, turn the lights out. And do whatever. So we're going to be a culture. We're going to honor one another. Okay? You're not going to hear me talking about this pastor or that pastor or this person or that person. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to honor them. I may not agree with them. I may think what they're doing is the worst thing in the world. But you know what? I'm going to honor them. I'm going to treat them with respect because, number one, they they deserve to be respected because they're made in the image and likeness of God. And if we would all do that, folks, where we work, where we live, where we go to school, we'll be a different kind of place. Now, I'm going to move on, okay? Think number two, or whichever list you're going by, it may be number seven, okay? We will be missional. In everything that we do, we just believe as a church that for us to reach the world with the gospel, that we have to begin wherever God has planted us. Every one of us is like a plant that's been planted in a garden. And our gardens are scattered all over North Jefferson County. Our jobs are all over this county. They may be all over this state. Some of you may travel this nation. But folks, we have a mission field, every one of us. It's called our job. It's called our school. It's called our family. And we have a vision for the communities and for our church. We, we have a vision for the world here. That vision is to love people into the kingdom of God by demonstrating the love of Christ as we live it out. You see, we can take mission trips. And by that I mean we can, we can load a bus and go somewhere and, and do all kinds of things. We can get on an airplane and, and fly across the ocean to a country. 
But if we don't do it here, if we don't do it to the ones that we know, then folks, we really are wasting our time. That doesn't mean we don't go. We, we went to Mexico earlier, yes, earlier this year, okay? But we didn't go on a mission trip. We went as an extension of what we were already doing in our community and in the, in the communities around here. We, we, don't, we don't cook Thanksgiving dinner, and, and we don't have vacation Bible school, and we don't adopt a family at Christmas time or, or, or go to Mexico and put in a shower for, for a group of kids that have never had a hot shower or never even had a shower. We don't go to schools in, in a Mexican town and work on their kitchen sinks as a part of missions. We do it because we're taking the love of Christ wherever we go. We're missional. See, Jesus was missional. He didn't go on a mission trip when He came to earth. Okay? He invested Himself. He, 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 he poured out His life. And folks, if we will become missional, if we'll pour out our life wherever God has planted us, we will see people's lives changed. If we learn to serve people by meeting people's needs, we'll see people get saved. We'll see people get set free from bondage. We'll see people healed from sickness or disease. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, pulling out your pocketbook necessarily. Sometimes that just means putting your arm around somebody and hugging them or calling them or writing them a note. Or speaking to them. It's, it's, it, it can be all kinds of things. Folks, we're on a mission to demonstrate the love of Christ by expressing that love through acts of service. Because those acts of service open the hearts. And when that heart gets open, guess what God does? His message is not just proclaimed. It's demonstrated. You see where, what I'm getting at? We demonstrate the love of God. St. Francis of Assisi uh, was the son of a very rich merchant. And if you don't know who Francis of Assisi is, if you've got a garden with a little monk in it and he's got a bird, that's Francis. Okay, Most of us know Francis that way. But Francis was a, was a, was a young man, and, and God got hold of Francis. And God got hold of his heart. And he basically, he, he, he gave away all his stuff. He renounced the riches that, that he, would have, he would have had as a merchant. And he began to follow God. And a group of, uh, of, of followers, they became known as the Franciscans. But, but Francis said this. He said, share Christ and if you have to, speak. That's pretty powerful right there. That's pretty powerful. If you have to, speak. In other words, demonstrate the love of Jesus to every person you come in contact with. Folks, if we'll do that, people's hearts will be opened. It's, it's a, it's a ma That's what Jesus did. If you'll study the Gospels, you will find Jesus meeting physical, emotional needs, spiritual needs. And then that person could listen. The woman to the well. She could listen. Blind Bartimaeus. All of a sudden he can see, you know what? His, his attention's focused with his ears. On and on and on I could go. So we're going to be missional in everything that we do. We're not going to do mission projects. We're going to go 
on mission trips in the sense that we're going to take trips to different places. We're going to Atlanta in a few weeks, okay? But we're not going so we can put a check on our, our, our church website that we've been on a mission trip. We're going so that we can serve people so that children around this world can hear the gospel proclaimed by opening a gift. We're going to show, uh, nobody's ever going to know most of the fact what we've done. In fact, it's not very glorious. Can I just tell you, you're going to stand on your feet for four hours and you're going to unpack and repack boxes. And you're going to put those boxes in another box and tape it up and it's going to go off down the line. That's pretty much going to be it. But you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be preparing a gift for a child somewhere. That when they get that gift, they've never gotten one before, their heart's going to open up. And somebody's going to share the love of Jesus Christ in their language. And some of them are going to get it. And you're not going to know what those four hours in that warehouse in Atlanta did until you get to heaven. See, that's the difference in going on a mission trip and being missional. And we're going to be missional as a church. Now, number three, we will actively develop fully formed disciples of Christ through small group ministry. Now, I'm going to take a little while and explain what I mean here. But in other words, we're going to build disciples. This church is going to be a disciple maker. We're not trying to, to, to get a, a big crowd. We're trying to build disciples here because disciples impact the world for the kingdom of God. We believe discipleship is essential for the continued growth of every individual in their faith. When you come to Christ, you become a believer. But not every believer becomes a disciple. If you study the ministry of Jesus, there were all kinds of crowds that followed Him around. But He had 12 that walked with Him. That were there day in and day out. Folks, that's what it means to be a disciple. It means to walk with Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the idea in the first century was that a teacher, when he had something to teach, people would come from, from everywhere and they'd walk with him. They'd live with him. They'd eat, sleep, and breathe what he ate, slept, and breathed. Okay, They, they lived the life out and they would become his, become his disciples. If, if you were a student of Aristotle, you went and studied with Aristotle, you left your home and, and you went to where Aristotle was and you did the things Aristotle did. The same's true with Jesus. That's what Peter did. That's what John did. That's what James did. Folks, that's what he's called us to do. To leave everything else and to walk with him. And folks, when believers become disciples, they are changed into servants. Who are then transformed into leaders. Not sure what that is, but uh, we'll take it. I'm going to say that again. When believers become disciples, they're changed into servants who are then transformed into leaders. And those leaders become missional. Missional. And God uses missional-minded people to lead lost people to believe in Christ. You know what? It's not my job to lead everybody in this community to Jesus. It's our job. It's not my job just to invite people to church. It's 
our job. It's not my job just to show them what Jesus looks like. It's our job. We walk together in this, folks. That's what disciples do. You know what? Most disciples never... I mean, most believers never become disciples because discipleship is a choice that you have to make. Do you realize you can't become a disciple by going to Lifeway or Books a Million or Cokesbury or Family Christian? You can't buy a program and become a disciple. You have to make a choice to give up something to take something else. And that's what discipleship is. It's a choice. You never become a disciple of Christ by just attending services on Sunday or or reading your Bible now and then. Discipleship carries the idea that you're willing to pay the price to learn whatever it is Jesus wants you to learn. And we've, we've chosen as a church, we've chosen to use small groups to do discipleship with. Now, most of us, I came from a background where we used Sunday school. Nothing wrong with Sunday school. Okay, there, there's, it's, a, it's a wonderful tool of discipleship. But it's not the only tool. Okay? And in the days when buildings cost so much and real estate is so expensive, it's a waste of money to build a huge, elaborate building that's since empty six and a, seven, uh, six and a half days a week. Okay? And so we've, we've decided to do it a little different. We've decided to use small groups. And small groups are nothing more than just groups that meet in homes. Why have we done that? Wouldn't it be easier if we just had our, our training sessions here? Well, yeah, it'd probably be easier, but it wouldn't be as effective. You know why? Because lost people are probably not going to come here to go to a Bible study. But you know what? If you invite your neighbor to your home, it's intimate. It's inviting, and it's really, really evangelistic. That person, when they come, or or any of us for that matter, most of you are not going to raise your hand when I'm preaching and ask a question. Okay? I've been preaching for a long time. I've seen it happen one time, okay? Most people are just not going to do that. Whether they understand what in the heck you're talking about or not, they're just not going to do that. But you know what? In a, in a home setting, you can find out the answers to what you don't understand. You can experiment. And if things go wrong, guess what? There's not nearly as big a mess to clean up. And you can experience stuff. Small groups allow groups of people to build friendships and to trust. We've, we've had two, I guess we can call them semesters, two semesters of, of small groups so far. And, 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 and in the small groups that I've been in, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. We kind of let the Sunday facade down. Everything's going good with me, and I look really good today, and I got this wonderful smile on my face. We, we kind of let that go. Down. You know, we just kind of cast it by the way. And we've got a little bit more intimate with each other. We've got to know each other. And what happens is, as you build friendships and as you begin to trust somebody, you know what? You'll take a risk. You'll kind of open up what's really going on in here. And we've seen God work in our small group. And I've talked to the folks that are leading other small groups. The same thing's happening there. A small group allows us to invite our neighbors 
our neighbors, the people we live by and the people we work with to our home. And very often, folks, that's the first step to a process God will use to bring that people, that person into the kingdom of God. That person, you might could invite that person every day for the next 40 years to come visit your church and them not visit. But if you invite them to your house, they might just come. And if they do, you know what? You just love them. And you let God work. A neighbor is far more visit, likely to visit your home than he is to come to church. And small groups are, are often the front door through which lost people eventually meet Jesus. When Sunday school began in the days of, of Moody, Moody built his Sunday school class by going down the alleys and the streets and inviting children to come to his class. That's how he got a class. Okay? Sunday school's different today. I, I used to teach a class that would, if it were, it, had it been a church, it would have been the second largest church in, the, in, the, in, the, in this region, in this area. I, I was a part of the teachers. But, but there were very few lost people there. It was church people. And so, by using small groups, folks were going out. It's evangelistic. It's also really flexible. You don't have to have a Bible study to have a small group. You don't have to have a, 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 a prayer group to have a small group. We have a small group that, that's doing a study and, and, and dieting at the same time. Made to crave. I've got a friend that leads a small group in Mississippi. They meet once a week, and they go bike riding. I mean, long distances, okay? Decked out in all those clothes that I don't look good in. And sitting on a seat that don't fit. You know what I'm talking about. But, but they do that. And, and, and what he has done is he's, he shared his love of bike riding with some other people that share the same love. But in the process, he shared the love of Christ with those guys. And a few of them have come to Christ. You like to target practice, shoot, have a small group. You like to know we got a group that that that, that is crocheting. You like to crochet? We've got a group called Crocheting with a Cause that they're making baby booties and and little bo uh, boggins that go around on babies' heads and blankets. And they're taking them to, to the NICUs in the area, and they're going to also be working with, with the women's ministry here in Gardendale. It's, it's just, you can have any kind of small group. It's just, do I love Jesus enough that in my small group, you know what, I'll share Jesus every once in a while with those people that have the same interests I have. Does that, does that make sense? That's all a small group is. I, we've got an idea that it's all it is is a Bible study in the house. It may be a cooking group. You get together to swap recipes. And you invite Mary and Sue and, and Jenny that don't go to church. They're lost as, as, as baseballs in the, in the high grass out in left field. And you share Jesus a little bit. by you just, They just see you interact with people and they think, you know, there's something different about them. Small groups, folks. Small groups provide excellent opportunities to meet new people and to form friendships. And if someone knows you love them, and they know you respect them, then you know what you have with them? A relationship. 
And when you have a relationship with somebody, they will listen to you share Jesus Christ. Our problem is we've tried to share Christ with no relationship. We go, we've gone after scaps, okay? It's time to, to get rid of that mentality and to start having a lifestyle of evangelism. And small groups gives us an ability to do that, and it helps us to build disciples. I've met some folks that went through small group. They were lost. They came to Christ. They, they kept going to the small group. And when they finally got to church, they were miles ahead of most of the believers that had been going to church for years. They didn't get all the baggage that we got. And so we're going to do small groups as, as a way of, of building discipleships. Now, number four, and I'm just about done. Number four, what we do, we're going to do with excellence. I'm going to say that again. Everything that we do here at this church, we're going to do with excellence. That doesn't mean we're going to spend tons of money to do things. That just means whatever we choose to do, we're going to do it the very best we can do it. Folks, we serve a God who is excellent. He doesn't have to do anything. And we're not going to have to do things, folks. We can't do everything. There, there's, there's as many ideas out here about what we need to do and, and what we should do. And, and, and listen, i got all kinds of ideas too. But we can't do everything. So we're going to do a few things, and we're going to do them with excellence. I'd rather do one or two things excellently than a half dozen things half-heartedly. Okay? Because when we do things excellently, it says to people that we care about you. People recognize excellence. And they recognize shoddiness. If you talk about a God who's, who's, who's wonderful and excellent and all this, and yet everything else is shoddy, the picture, the, the demonstration doesn't match with the proclamation. Folks, I, I really believe this, that excellence is a God quality. People recognize it, and people are drawn to it. It's a billboard that says, you know what, we care about you. And so we're going to do things excellently. If we're, if we're careless, we're shoddy, it screams we don't care. It's an attitude that, 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 that our actions are worthy of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in reality, folks, our actions are our worship. And I don't know about you, but I want my actions and my worship to be excellent. I love what King David says when, when he goes and, and the plague has hit Israel because he counted the people. God tells him to go up on the mountain uh, above the city of Zion in Jerusalem. And he tells him to buy a threshing floor, the threshing floor of Ornan. And he tells him to offer a sacrifice there. And so, so David goes, the king goes, and his entourage goes with him. When he gets there, Aranua Ornan, who owns the threshing floor, comes to him and says, Hey, I'll give you this. I'll give you the, the cattle. Now, we read that and think Ornan was really magnanimous, but he really wasn't. That's just the Arab way of doing things, okay? If you go to Israel today and you interact with some Arab uh, uh, merchants, they'll go, oh, let me give you this. 
Well, when you take it in your hands, that means you want it, so therefore you are to purchase it. Okay, it's just, it's, it, you know, Ornan wasn't as magnanimous as we think he was. But David goes, no, 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 no. I'll not offer to God anything that costs me nothing. And folks, I think what we offer ought to cost us something. It doesn't have to cost us money. It may just cost us our time. But if I'm going to give time, I want to give the best of my time. If I'm going to give money, I want, I want my money to, to purchase the very best. That it, I don't want it to buy half-hearted stuff. So we're not going to waste money as a church. We're not going to waste effort. We're not going to waste time. But we are going to do things with excellence, which means we're not going to be able to do everything at once. But what we do do, we're going to do right. Amen? Finally, and I'm done. And this is not just this this is not just a core value, I think, for, for Eagles Wing, but it's a core value within me as well. And I hope it's a core value within you. We're committed to revival in the church and awakening in this country. If you're not, this is probably not the place you need to be. We are hungry for God. We're hungry for Him. That means nothing else will satisfy. We're not satisfied with just doing church. I've done church most of my life. It didn't do anything for me, okay? It just occupied my time and took away time that I could have been more productive in the kingdom of God. So we're not here to do church. We're here to be the church, all right? Folks, I believe the church is the overcoming, spirit-filled body of Jesus Christ. And when the body catches up with the head, the kingdom of darkness disappears. Jesus, is He's wide open, okay? It's time we got wide open and caught up with Him. And we have to be the, to be that, we have to be fully aligned with Him. We have to be fully alive and we have to be fully acting as His agents. Folks, we are the body of the resurrected Jesus. Let, let that, we're not just a bunch of hee-haws and goofballs that live in Alabama. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We're not a bunch of failures and, and, and mess-ups and, and malcontents or, or successful, or wonderful people. We're the body of Jesus Christ, the resurrected body the living body of Jesus Christ. And folks, I don't know about you, but I want to be everything the Bible says I can be. Not one thing less. I want everything. If you don't want everything, you don't, your God's not big enough. Because He's given us all the riches in Christ Jesus. We're already sitting in the heavenly places. They're ours. Folks, God's Word is very clear in the book of Acts and in, in the epistles. And, and you can read the testimony of the church that, that, that took place later. When they went out into the world, signs and wonders followed them. Now, some people get all caught up in signs and wonders and think that's miraculous things, but, but it was more than that. Wherever these people went, they took the presence of Jesus Christ. They might have prayed for a sick person and saw that person healed. But they also put their, their arms around people and loved on people. 
They, they, they encouraged people that they were going through tough times. See, those are signs and wonders too. If you don't think so, you get in a place where you're beat down and you're ready to give up and somebody comes and puts their arms around you and prays for you, something happens in your life. It's a wonder. It's a sign. They demonstrated the power of God. They didn't just proclaim it. Folks, when they went out, people were healed. The devils were cast out. The blind saw. The deaf heard. Lame men threw down their, their, their crutches. And the kingdom of God fell wherever these people went. They gave to the poor. They visited the sick. They went to the prisons and visited the prisons. They helped families who'd lost husbands and had nobody to care for them. They fed the hungry. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. You don't hear this verse read very often outside of charismatic churches. And the reason is because you don't find this verse necessarily in some of the earlier manuscripts, which doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't in the Bible. It just means it's not in the earlier manuscripts, the ones that they used to translate this version or that version. And what's happened is you, you get a big long paragraph down at the bottom of your Bible. It's probably in yours. It's in mine. That this one wasn't here and this one there. But here's the deal. It's here now, and it's been here for a long, long, long time. It didn't just get here in the last 50 or 100 years. It's been here for thousands of years. Whoever makes the decisions could never decide, you know what, we need to wad this up and throw it away. We're just not sure, okay? They kept including it. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. And these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it'll hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We get all caught up in picking up the snakes and drinking the poison, okay? We're not going to handle snakes here in this church, all right? Amen? Amen. I woke you all up. And the reason we're not is because I don't think that's what that passage is talking about. And number two, I hate snakes with a passion. The only good snake without his head. All right? Separate the head from the body. You don't have to worry about anything. I don't like snakes. And you know what? I'm not going to drink poison. I'm not going to pick it up. But that's not all of that verse. Folks, they're going to talk differently. They're going to act differently. They're going to lay hands on people like Jesus did. They're going to pray for them, and people are going to be restored. The point is, is they're not just going to proclaim the gospel. They're going to demonstrate it in the lives they choose to live once they get outside into the streets. That's my whole point. And folks, if we will demonstrate what we proclaim, people will knock us down to find out who Jesus is. The world's interested in Jesus. Just not the Jesus that the church has been preaching. It's the Jesus the Bible proclaims. Because He can meet their needs. He can take them out of the bondage that they're in. He can set them free from the prisons that they've put themselves in. See, the Jesus that, that, that many of us have proclaimed 
was powerless. That's not the Jesus that the Bible proclaims. He's omnipotent. Powerless is as far over this way as you can be. Omnipotent is as far that way as you can go and then some. Okay? So, folks, a part of this church is going to be that we're going to go after God so that He will restore the body of Christ. I'm not happy if we're jumping chairs in here, running around in circles, and all kinds of things are happening here. If that church over there and that one up here and this one over here is not having the same thing take place. You know what? I want to see God poured out in the community. I want to see all the churches come alive. I don't want to just see a finger here and a toe there come alive. I want to see the whole body raise up. Because when the body raises up, folks, America will be turned. This nation will turn. That's the passion of my heart, is to see revival come to the church, the church be revived and, and made alive again. And then when that happens, folks, awakening happens. You, you study the history of revival. Every time the church has awakened and rose up, God poured out His Spirit. And people, you couldn't, they just came. They just came. I can tell you story after story after story. You know what? I'm tired of reading stories. I want to live out some of that stuff. Amen. And folks, if, if enough of us want to live that stuff out, then you know what? We'll live it out. We'll see it. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm done. The greatest evangelistic tool the world will ever see is a church that's chosen to walk in continual revival. I believe that we are to walk in revival all the time. Revival is not what we think it is. Revival is just being alive. So if you and I will intimately pursue God with all our hearts, what we talked about last week, and we'll go after our communities and our neighbors and our friends and our family and the people we work with, like we've talked about this week, you know what? We'll see God move. We'll see God change this region. He'll turn it upside down. He'll turn the churches in these communities upside down. He'll turn the governments in these cities upside down. And we'll see the kingdom of God come in this place. Folks, that's what really revival is. It's the kingdom of God come. It's God's will being done on a place. A, a picture that I can paint, I'm going to leave with you. It's when heaven kisses earth. That's what revival is. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.